0: Our church in Adelaide has a school in Bolivia. We're probably about your size. And uh, we have a school of 60 children uh, that we care for every day. It's a challenge of faith. It costs us about $2,500 a month. But the camels keep on coming. Anybody remember that last sermon? I, uh, some of you do, okay? The camels are coming. Uh, my wife and I have a, a ministry which we call the Shepherd Storehouse, And uh, over the last eight years, we've been able to plant seven new churches in Poland. It is an incredible... Somebody said to me, Jeremy, God's told me you'll fulfill my dream. I said, what's that? He said, I want to plant a church in Poland. I said, you're crazy. Poland is a long way away. It's a different culture. It's certainly a different language. It is impossible. But what is impossible with man is possible with God. (laughs) And so not only have we planted uh, one church, but we are actually able to plant uh, seven churches. And uh, that is really, really exciting. Uh, there's a table in the cafe area that has a brochure about Bolivia. And it started with an amazing miracle of a man who was dying from chronic obstructive airways disorder. And God stunningly healed him. Uh, He's now 75 years of age, hasn't used an asthma puffer in uh, five years, and uh, it was his vision to start the school. This is a great story. Have a read of it. It is really good. One of the ways that we finance Bolivia is through a book called The Cyril, The Short-Sighted Camel. Anybody seen this little book that I wrote and David Bolt illustrated? Is David here today? Where is David? Where, Where are you, David? You're over there. Okay. Well, if you, if you haven't seen this book, uh, what happened was that I'd preached, I'd written this sermon, The Camels Are Coming, and one uh, Saturday night, Friday night, at 4 a.m., I woke up with this story. And I went to the computer at 4 a.m., and it took me 20 minutes to write. It took David a year to illustrate. <laughs> and uh, proceeds of this book goes towards... Uh, the program in, in Bolivia. So, if you've got children, grandchildren, it's pitched at uh, primary age children between, say, six and ten, and uh, you can get a copy of that for ten dollars, and the proceeds are going towards Bolivia. You should buy one for David's sake. You should also buy one for my sake because I've still got 2,200 camels in my garage, and, and they are really hungry. So, um, get, get a few. If you buy four, I'll give you a set of steak knives. And, uh, and whatever, so have a look at that. Uh, I, I used to enjoy doing, uh, doing jigsaw puzzles. Uh, I, I liked huge jigsaws, 5,000 pieces, 10,000 pieces. But uh, a few years ago, I started a new project in my life, and that was to write a commentary uh, on the New Testament for preachers. And so far, I've been able to complete six books. This is the most recent one called Ephesians, Far Above All. And uh, it provides a a commentary, uh, my notes, uh, what I've studied, what I've learned, and then sermon starters, ideas how you can apply those uh, Bible verses to your life. So we've got uh, books on Matthew, Acts, Philippians, Colossians, Ephesians, and uh, these will empower your life. Uh, If you're a preacher or a teacher, they'll expand your ministry. It's a great resource. And uh, the proceeds of this book, uh, these books, go to our mission in Poland. So please have a look at that. We take cash, credit cards, golf balls, um, in exchange. Squash. No, squash is for young men and, or men that want to think they're young. Very good. I, I have brought with me a series of uh, DVDs called Introduction to Preaching. This is a uh, self-study guide on the art of both public, preach, public speaking and preaching. And uh, if you rang up Influencers College in Adelaide and said, uh, can, I help, can you help me with preaching? They would sell you this course at a considerably higher rate than what I would sell it to you. It comes with four DVDs, a self-study guide. It's at the table in the foyer. I think that's uh, all I I need to say. Other than we have a man in our church called Trevor Blight. Trevor and Paquita Blight were in this church uh, a number of years ago. Does anybody know that name, Trevor and Paquita? And about uh, four weeks ago, Paquita went to heaven. And uh, Trevor has asked me to convey his love to any that would remember him. Okay, there is a clock on the back wall. Is that the correct time? It is. Okay, so I'm going to finish at 10, 11.30. Is that WA time, summer time, Eastern Standard Time, Central Australian time, the Holy Spirit time? And how many of you would you like me to finish at 11.30? Yeah, okay, we'll finish then. Can you recognize this man? Whilst his face is probably not known to you, He is one of Australia's greatest Christians and probably he was one of Australia's greatest evangelists. It may be that he preached the gospel to more Australians than anybody has ever preached that message. But he wasn't always like that because this man was born in a slum in Balmain, Sydney in 1886. Both his parents were alcoholics. There were five children in the family and later after his conversion... He said that there was never a time when one of the family was not in jail. Two of his older sisters ran a brothel. The oldest sister was deported out of New South Wales on three occasions. As a boy, he would steal milk from doorsteps. He'd pick up scraps of food from rubbish bins and steal bread from bakers. He rarely went to school and could neither read or write. By the age of 12, he'd been made a ward of the state... And at 14, he got his first job. This is 1900. He was working in a coal mine and he openly admitted that he spent his first wages in a hotel, 14 years of age. He was jailed for the first time at 15 and said for the next 29 years he was in and out of prison. He enrolled in the army and served in France during the First World War. He was gassed and uh, returned to Australia half blind in one eye. By 1930, he claimed that for the previous eight years, he had been continually drunk. In August 1930, he went to the Regent Street police station in Sydney and pleaded with the sergeant, I'm hopeless, I'm useless, lock me up and throw away the key. The sergeant replied, you're drunk, you stink of metho, get out of here. The man, knew that, <coughs> the man knew that down the road there was a local church hall and there were 300 homeless men who would go there uh, once a week and sit on those hard benches at St. Barnabas's church on Broadway in Sydney. They knew that if they could sit through a gospel meeting there would be tea and coffee and cakes afterwards. And so Arthur went to this meeting And he said to a friend, who are those six well-dressed people on the front row? And the friend next to him said, well, I think they'd be Christians. Well, look at them, said Arthur. I want what they have. And so when the preacher made an appeal, Arthur came forward and gave his life to Jesus Christ. The Bible says that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And Arthur called on the name of the Lord and God touched him. And from that moment, the power of alcohol was broken over his life. A few days later, he got a job. This was 1930, the depression years. And in those days, you worked a week, you had a week off, and you were paid $6 a fortnight. It was six months after his conversion that he attended the Darlinghurst Baptist Church, where he listened to a great Australian preacher called John Ridley preach. It's been said that John Ridley was Australia's greatest evangelist. He'd won a military cross in the world in, in the First World War, and he was a blood and thunder evangelist. And the night that Arthur was there, he preached on eternity, and he said these words: "I wish I could shout eternity from every street in Sydney." And several times through the sermon, John Ridley shouted out, "Eternity! Eternity!" eternity and arthur went home with those words ringing in his ears and in his heart and in his mind and as he was walking home he began to cry he said later he found he felt an incredible sense of the presence of god he had a piece of chalk in his pocket and in a sudden impulse he bent down and wrote the word eternity on the footpath And a hundred meters later, bent down again and wrote it again and again. Arthur Stace wrote it, said later, the strange thing was this. I could barely write my name. And yet every time I wrote eternity, it came out in this beautiful script. In fact, he said people would look at my signature and they couldn't read it. But when I wrote eternity, everyone could read it. Over the next 37 years, Arthur Stace would rise at 4 a.m. He would pray for an hour. And during that prayer time, God would drop the name of a Sydney suburb into his heart and mind. He would leave home at 5, walk to that suburb. And as he would walk, he would stoop and write Eternity. And then he would walk through the suburb, the name of which God had given him. And every 100 meters, write Eternity. He first wrote it in yellow chalk but then used crayon. His identity was unknown. He was finally identified and warned by the police that he would be arrested. On each occasion that happened, Arthur Stace replied that he had permission from a higher power. It was calculated that during his life he had written eternity more than half a million times on the streets of Sydney. Now whilst all this happened before most of us were alive, you may remember at the turning of the millennium in the Sydney fireworks show when on the Sydney Harbour Bridge in that same wonderful script was the word Eternity. They estimate that 2 billion people saw that firework display and read that famous word. I wonder if John Ridley... The day he preached in that Baptist church, cried out, Eternity, eternity, eternity. Would God that I could preach that on every street in Sydney. That somebody would actually take him literally and decide to do it. Eternity, eternity, eternity. Would God that someone would speak that word on every street in Perth. This is what Ecclesiastes 3.11 says. It says, God has made everything beautiful in his time. Just turn to the person next to you and say, I would think he was talking about you. The second half of that verse says this. He has set eternity in the hearts of men. He's put eternity in our hearts. What does that mean? It means that primarily people are spiritual beings. Whilst most people focus their lives on filling themselves with physical things, the core essence of humanity is that we are spiritual. And the real things of life are not things at all, but they are relationships and connections, faith, hope, love, truth, grace. These are the greatest things in the world. God has put eternity in your heart, what does it mean? It means that people are aware of the existence of God. No matter where you travel in the world, no matter what culture you visit, no matter what sociological grouping you may meet, religion is common to every community of mankind. Now you might choose to think that you evolved, but let, let me tell you this. You can teach a chimpanzee to do all kinds of things. You could give him a laptop. You could trade him on an iPad. But what you could never get him to do would be to to bow down and worship. But common to humanity is this desire to worship God. And we make gods of all kinds of things. We make gods out of gold and wood and silver. And We make gods of animals or ancestors. We make gods of sport and, and sports stars or cars or people. You see, God has put eternity in our hearts. We sense there is a God. And the wonderful thing is that this God of eternity wants to communicate and connect with us. The eternal God who inhabits eternity has put eternity in our hearts. We were made for fellowship with God. There is a God-shaped void in every one of us. And no matter what we do, where we go, we will never find anything that will bring true satisfaction until we connect with God through Jesus Christ. God has done everything he can to connect with us. He sent his son to redeem us, that separated us from sin, that Jesus came to reconcile, square the ledger, pay the debt, remove the stain, The Father ascend the Holy Spirit so our relationship with God can be strong, growing day by day. What does it mean? It means that every human being possesses a soul that will live forever. When God made man, He breathed into him. And the Bible says that Adam became a living spirit. Physical death is the separation of the spirit from the body. When a person dies... Usually, someone will say, oh, he's gone. You see, the body without the spirit is dead. But where have they gone? The Bible clearly says that the spirit returns to God who gave it. God has put eternity in our hearts. We are spiritual beings. We're aware there is a God. We have this God-shaped void within, and we can live forever. Eternity, eternity, eternity. Would God that someone would declare that in every street in Perth. You see, we live in a generation that lives by its soul and its flesh and its senses and not by the Spirit. We have a generation that's rejected the concept of God. A generation that seeks to fill the void with everything but God. This generation lives as if there is no tomorrow. Oh, Eternity, eternity, eternity. About four weeks ago, a family unknown to me hired our church for the funeral of their son. We have a large auditorium. and It was the only one in the area large enough to have a a funeral with 350 people that came. Their son was 25 years of age. It was the saddest funeral I've ever been to. The guy was living in London and he was living with an English girl, an intensive care nurse. And on weekends they would go clubbing and they'd get drunk and they would use non-prescription drugs. And one wild Saturday night of drinking and non-prescription drugs, when she wakes in the morning, he's dead. I, I cannot understand how an intensive care nurse with all her training would not realize the dangers of that sort of lifestyle. But if all you live is for today, if you don't realize eternity is reality, what emptiness in life. The saddest thing for me at the funeral was not just to see his pictures and and hear the story and, and sense the emptiness of his life. There were more than 200 young people there between the ages of 18 and 25. His friends from school and, and whatever. And you know, at the end of the funeral, they went to the nearest pub to get drunk in his memory. Eternity! 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 Somebody needs to declare that on every street in Perth. You know, one of the most recent, uh, you know, recent times, there is this great emphasis in the church to discover your destiny. And that is absolutely true. To find the purpose why we're on the planet, to give us a reason why we live here. And that's true because for everybody in this room, there is a divine destiny. There's something you can do and there's something only you can do. You have a contribution to make that nobody else can make. You have a destiny. But your destiny is intended to bring you to the right destination. Because it's possible to follow your destiny, but go the wrong direction. Maybe your destiny is to make money. Well, let me tell you that the Bible says, what does it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? You might say, well, my God, my destiny is leadership politically, socially, in the church. Let me tell you that the nations are a drop in the bucket the dust in the valley. You may say, my destiny is ministry. And I want a powerful ministry that will overthrow the works of the enemy and build the kingdom. This is what Jesus said. Don't rejoice that the devils are subject to you in my name. Rejoice because your names are written in heaven. You've got to rejoice that you're going to the right destination. Finding God's will for your life is success. It'll maximize your life. It'll fully satisfy your soul. And it will lead you to the right destination. Eight days ago, a Malaysian airline, uh, airliner took off from Kuala Lumpur. It's still a mystery. You know, it had a destination, but we don't know where it is. It reminds me of a pilot who announced over the intercom... Uh, Passengers, I've got some good news and bad news. The good news is we've got a 200 kilometer tailwind and we are ahead of schedule. The bad news is that our navigation system has failed and we are totally lost. And many people live their lives like that. They've got this incredible momentum, but they are going nowhere. When we speak of eternity, I have to ask you the question, are you going to the right place? Oh, Jeremy, it's the 21st century. All roads lead to God. All religions will lead you to heaven. Let me remind you that the Bible says and Jesus said it, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes of the Father but by me. It's amazing, you know, when you, when you attend funerals or you see it on the television of some, you know, a rock and roll star has died and they talk about the rock and roll heaven. They talk about sporting heaven where Don Bradman is forever playing or maybe even an atheist heaven. (laughs) Jesus said this, the gate's wide and the road is broad that leads to destruction and many go that way. But the road is narrow and the gate is small that leads to life and few find it. Two gates, two roads, two destinations. Are you going to the right place? Have you caught the right plane? Are you following the right road? My first overseas missions trip was in 1987, and I was invited to speak in solo in Indonesia, uh, the middle city right in the central Java, great Bible college there, and uh, had the joy of going. and I flew with an airline whose name I can 't mention for fear of um, um, so I 'm returning. And I was in Brisbane at the time, and, and this particular airline only flew to Sydney and Melbourne, so it was uh, Indonesia, Sydney, Brisbane. So I'm sitting on the tarmac in this 747, and the pilot says, this is flight GA-123 bound for Sydney. We will be proceeding direct to Melbourne. When you're sitting on a plane at the end of the runway, and you can hear the engines you know, firing up, And the guy's telling you, it's not going where you're supposed to go. Five years later, I did the same trip, same Bible college. But this time, the airline now flew to Brisbane. So that was much better, just Brisbane, Indonesia, direct. So I'm sitting on the tarmac, coming home on a 747, bound for Brisbane. And the pilot says this, this is flight GA456, Bound for Brisbane, we will be proceeding direct to Sydney. I decided right there and then I would never fly on that airline again. God has put eternity in our hearts. We have the potential to live forever, but we've got to end up in the right place. Where's the right place? Imagine a sky so blue. It takes your breath away. Imagine a world so beautiful that words cannot describe it. Imagine sunlight so bright that there is never any darkness or shadow. And yet it's gentle, not harsh. That light warms your heart and fills your mind and lights your path. And you look for the sun in the sky and then you realize it is the light of God. Imagine taking a breath and feeling more alive than you've ever felt before. Imagine a sense of love that invigorates and liberates and celebrates. Imagine being so surrounded by love that you know that you'll never be lonely again. Imagine the water of life that when you drink, it satisfies you to completion, and yet you've got an inexhaustible supply. Imagine a sense of satisfaction that your hopes and your dreams are realized. And yet with that same satisfaction, it grows with every moment. Imagine a joy that makes your heart to smile and laugh and jump and dance. Imagine a sense of health and well-being, no aching joints, no nagging pain. Such things are a distant memory. Imagine a sense of belonging, that you know that you're home, a sense of total security, total acceptance, that you know that you know that this is where you belong and it's yours forever. Imagine a sense of family, of community, of brotherhood, that you're part of that family. Imagine a faith so strong that it banishes fear and doubt that there's not even one negative thought. Imagine a sense of righteousness that you feel so pure and clean that you know that you're fully and freely forgiven. A righteousness that frees you from all temptation. Imagine a song within your heart that fills your mouth and you discover that you can both sing and you've got a song. It's your song. Imagine waking up and someone is holding your hand, and you discover it's the hand of God. Imagine opening your eyes and seeing Jesus, who is better than any artist has ever portrayed Him, or any actor has ever expressed what He's like. And there is such love in His eyes, and there's strength in His touch, and you look, and, and you can see scars in His hands. And as you look, you can make out letters. It's a name. It's your name. Imagine hearing the words well done good and faithful servant enter into the joy of your lord welcome home son welcome home daughter oh jeremy you're imagining yeah i am imagining it and this is what paul says in corinthians That eye hasn't seen, nor ear has heard, nor has the mind conceived what God has prepared for those who love Him. Eternity, eternity, eternity. And we have young people throwing their lives away on drugs and alcohol. And they need to realize that there is a heaven and there is a hell. You see, everything Jesus said about heaven is true. God has put eternity in the hearts of men. How do you know that's true? Because when you're saved, a little bit of heaven is deposited into your life. Oh, would God that somebody would proclaim this on every street in Perth. This week in Australia, the the news has been dominated. Well, it has in the east about the death of the trial from the death of Daniel Morecambe little boy that was taken under the bridge uh, next to the school where my four grandchildren go and uh, he's got 20 years 20 years for a young life it's not a good deal is it where are they going to put him Brisbane has some famous jails, Boggo Road there's another one at towards Ipswich when they first opened it, we were living in Toowoomba, and when they first opened this new prison, there were some security issues and they kept escaping. So somebody put a sign on the road, prisoners cross here at night. <laughs> Australia's got some famous jails, Long Bay, Berrimer in Darwin. There's that guy that, you know, the, the massacre in Hobart, at, you know, he's in the jail at Hobart and, I guess Perth got a jail. Fremantle jail. It's gone. Canning Vale. Is there a you know that do you okay? As a visitor. As a resident. Okay. And as I thought about that, I thought no jails in heaven. No police in heaven. Because there's going to be no sin, no evil, no need for police, no need for courts, no magistrates, no lawyers in heaven. You've had trouble with them, have you? No prisons. Because heaven is a place of no sin, no temptation, no evil. There are no military bases in heaven. The Bible says that the day will come when nations will melt down their weapons of war and make them into farming implements. No war, no soldiers, no fighting. No hospitals in heaven because there'll be no sickness there. No doctors, no dentists in heaven. Everybody sympathizes with me. I had root canal treatment. Drill, drill, drill. Drill, drill, drill. She kept on drilling until she found my wallet. No disease in heaven. No aches or pain, not even a headache, no wrinkles in heaven. No retirement homes in heaven because the aging process is over. There are going to be no old people in heaven, no walking frames, no aches or no cemeteries in heaven because there'll be no death, death and dying and mourning and tears, no sadness, no sorrow. No watches in heaven. No schedules to keep, no appointments to face because time will be no more. This is so difficult for us to understand because we are, we are limited by the dimension of time. But God has put eternity in our hearts. No deserts in heaven. No harsh climates no weeds that grow. The curse is finally removed. And when you think about all these things, somebody needs to declare on every street in Perth, eternity, eternity, eternity. There is a heaven to gain. As a pastor, I want all my people to grasp their destiny. But more than that, I want them to arrive at the right destination. If there are things that won't be in heaven, let me tell you that there will be things that won't be in hell. Hell will be a place devoid of faith. No faith in hell. Faith is the foundation of living. And if you remove the foundation, you end up in a place of total negativity, utter despair, without foundation. The Bible describes hell as a bottomless pit. You see, if there's no structure, no support, no reference points, you're in hell. The Bible says that hope is a tree of life. To live without hope is to live in hell. And hell is a place where there is no prospect of life improving. You're trapped forever. No dreams, no ambitions, no positive thoughts. There is no hope in hell because there's no exits. There's no love in hell. The Bible uses images of fire when it describes hell. But let me tell you that hell will be the coldest place in the universe It'll be the loneliest place in the, it's difficult to imagine a place where there is no love, no affection, no friendship, no sense of connection, no warmth of companionship, a place of total selfishness so strong that people will think there's nobody else here. No sense of home in hell, but rather dislocation. If there's no tears in heaven, let me tell you, there's no joy in hell. It'll be a place of utter sadness, sorrow and emptiness. No laughter, no parties, never any sense of satisfaction. No light. One of the names for hell is outer darkness. No light to shine. No prospect of a coming dawn. No stars to shine. No light to show the way. Oh, eternity, 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 eternity. Would God that someone would declare that on every street in Perth that there is a heaven to gain and there is a hell to shun. Oh, Jeremy, God is a God of love. He wouldn't send anybody to hell. That is true because people choose to go there. They make a choice to go to hell. If you leave God out of your life here, you are leaving God out of eternity there. If you live for yourself here, let me tell you, you will live by yourself there. If you have no time for God here, then there'll be no time for God there. I wonder if you remember the words of Gladiator. I I, I forget, Russell Crowe. He said, What we do in time echoes in eternity. The truth is this. The decisions we make in time determine our destination in eternity. Deuteronomy says, I have set before you the way of life, the way of death. Choose life that you may live. I was driving here this morning and at quarter past nine I realized I didn't know where the church was. (laughs) Having gone to Armidale High School and, and whatever. So I thought, I'll ring David Bolt. Will he be out of bed? Will he answer the phone? He mumbled some directions and then I realized I've got my map app on my phone. So I pulled over and found the place. My mom and dad lived in Armadale. They lived in the manse that was on Forest, was it 6th Avenue and wherever it was. Nice manse, it was like Spanish design and, and whatever. And it was my mom and dad's house. When Jesus was asked about heaven, he talked about banquets, parties. And he said, in my father's house is a place for you. When I visited my parents' home, whether it was in Armadale or in Rockhampton or in Toowoomba, it was dad's house. And everything that was dad's was mine. So I'd say, hi mom, hi dad, what's in the fridge? Because at father's house, everything in the fridge is yours. So when my kids went to college, it was a residential college and they would come home for weekends. They would say, hi mom, hi dad, what's in the fridge? And they'd eat my camembert cheese and they'd drink my sparkling mineral water and they'd have the leftover curry and you see, if you're at father's house, everything in the fridge is yours. God has got a big fridge, and everything in the fridge is ours. But but I could I could go along to Sixth Avenue and I could knock on the door on that. It, it, it's the same location, but it's not home. Because there's no relationship. My my wife Bernice left England in 1972. She was part of this church way back then, and and uh, we've been back numerous times. And both her parents are in heaven today. And we'd go back to the house where she lived from 53 to 72. It was the same. Hasn't changed. The street hasn't changed. The, the, it's it's the same house. But because her parents aren't there, it's not home anymore. You see, the sense of home is nothing to do with location. It's all about relationships. And the wonderful thing about heaven is that God has made it possible for us to have a relationship with him that lasts forever because God has put eternity in our hearts. Let's let's imagine you want to go to Perth's finest restaurant, which would be, sorry? Praises. Phrases. So you, do do a lot of people want to go there? Well, if you want to go to Phrases, you've got to book. You wouldn't rock up and say, is there a place for me? Because every one of us have been to restaurants when they've said, I'm sorry, you have no booking. Let's imagine you want to go on a a flight. Would you leave home without your ticket? Let's imagine you've got a new car. Would you drive the car without insurance? Let's imagine you're going overseas. Would you go to the airport without the passport? I mean, the last thing Bernice says to me when we fly over, have you got the passports? And this is totally logical in life. And yet when it comes to eternity, people live life without any reservation there. They live their lives without any thought of a passport to get to heaven. They live their life without any insurance for eternity. Oh, Jeremy, How here are four words that will get you to heaven. Are you ready? They're really long, difficult words to understand. You need to be a serious theologian to understand them. Are you ready? He died for me. I mean, when God says to you, why should I let you into heaven? And you can say, I was a preacher's kid. I went to church. I went to Champions League. I knew Mike Keating. I was an Aussie. I was born in England. I paid my tax. I was a good guy. I helped old ladies across the road. None of those things mean anything to God. But when you say, he died for. Me. We have a reservation for you. There's a seat at the table. We've been expecting you. It's all prepared. He died for me. Why don't we say that together right now? Come on. He died for me. You did not say that anywhere near loud enough. You've got to hear it with your own ears. Here we go. He died for If you believe that, it'll transform your life. If you believe that, it'll change your presence and it'll decide your future. He died for me. It's not what I do. It's what he's done. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can cleanse my stain? What can pay my debt? What can reconcile the account? What can put my name in heaven's book? He died for me. Don't confuse it. Don't make it difficult. Don't lock up heaven to a small group, but realize that God loved the world and whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Eternity. 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 Would God that someone would declare that in every street in Perth and in WA in, and in Australia. So that in our secular godless society, we'd stop living for time and start living for eternity. Bow your hands in prayer, would you please? I want you to put your hand over your heart This is the moment we connect with God. This may be the moment you were born for. This is actually the purpose of this morning. This is why I've come from Adelaide to Perth this weekend to preach this message, and God knew who would be here. Put your hand over your heart, and I want you to say those words to yourself. He died for me. Come on, say it. It Keep saying it. He died for me. He died for me. He died for me. It'll get you to heaven. He died for me. Father, I pray that your word will not return to you empty, but it will accomplish what you desire. And across this room now, I pray that eternity will touch earth, that eternal life would invade our temporal time change lives forever do you believe that he died for you then take that hand that's over your heart and raise it high and say i'm not saying this for jeremy i'm not saying this for the guy next to me i'm saying it so heaven can hear me He is my hand and here's my heart jesus i believe you died for me Come on, speak it out. I believe you died for me. Jesus, I believe that you died for me. Lower your hands and bow your heads just for a few more moments. Don't get on the wrong plane. Don't sit in a seat that you're trapped in by a seatbelt. And the pilot says, well, you thought you were going to one place, you're going to another. Here's an opportunity to get on the right plane. Here's an opportunity to turn directions. Here's an opportunity to choose the right road. If you've never given your life to Jesus or you wish to recommit your life to Jesus and you've said those words to yourself, he died for me, then right now say, Jeremy, you've been preaching to me this morning. I needed to hear that. You came from Adelaide for this meeting for me. Raise your right hand high and say, Jeremy, you've been preaching to me. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? He died for me. Father, I pray that uh, your Holy Spirit will move upon each of our lives and hearts, that we will have no doubt, that we'll have strong confidence, that heaven is our home. And there's a place at your table reserved for us. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I apologize. It is six minutes longer than I expected. Please ask Mike to forgive me. Okay. Are you going to come and sing? What what are you going to do? Dance? Dance?
1: Okay, I'll invite the band up to sing. But let's give Pastor Jeremy a clap. What a powerful message. Fantastic. It's a timely reminder of making the right choice. Amen? Amen. We've got, um, now, for those who put their hands up, we actually got Ravi. Ravi, can you just stand up? And he will actually see you after the service. But praise God. Let's just give a clap. We've got salvations and recommitments. So God is good. And if you like, pray after the service. Um, Gary Bowe and his team will be, and some leaders will be available to just pray with you and believe for miracles and breakthroughs in your life. And you want to thank you for coming out today. Have a great week. We've got the cafe open today. And I'm going to let the band decide today. I think we should sing Rejoice anyway, because it's been one of those mornings. And let's just stand to our feet and just praise God. Thanks, church. Have an awesome week.